Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Richard Koss. He's the Chief Research Officer at Recursion. Uh, the website is recursionco.com. And we're going to talk about his work and Recursion. And Rich, thanks for coming. Uh, my pleasure, Richard. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, uh, tell me about uh, your work at Recursion. What's it about? Sure. We are in the big data mortgage finance field. Okay. So uh, what what we do is we take enormous data sets related uh, to the mortgage market. Uh, we wrestle them into the cloud and we have digital tools that allow uh, interested users to access this data and you know to, to do their own research uh, to supplement their policy or trading or research strategies uh, in this regard so uh, it's a, what we call it is data democratization there's a tremendous amount of information out there it's very hard for most people to access it easily so our corporate mission is to bring this kind of power and information to a broader audience than just the very big institutions who had access to it previously. So specifically, what, um, I mean, what aspects of the economy are you looking at? You know, are you focusing on housing or are you? Yes, yes, yes. No, no, we focused on housing, of course, but uh, it, it certainly has implications beyond that, right? I, I mean, think of the global financial crisis, right? I mean, the, the, it was definitely all about the housing market and the housing finance market. We learned a lot about uh, how important that that segment of the economy is. One of the real problems at that time was a complete lack of transparency, that you just didn't know what was going on. There are all of these funky securities that were melting down, uh, the so-called private label securities, PLS all over the world. Nobody knew who had exposure to it. It just caused a rippling chain effect that really brought uh, the whole global economy really um, down to its knees. It was quite startling. There were a number of changes after that. Um, uh, things are a bit more transparent, but also on the regulatory side, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, more important than ever that the industry make mortgages for people who can reasonably expect to uh, sustain it. So the situation as of the beginning of this year was really pretty positive. The housing market was strong, uh, but the borrowers had good credit, uh, you know, a little bit of concern about a bit overdone here and there, but, but pretty strong. And of course, then COVID hit. Um, and it's really both due to a policy reaction and to just the availability of information that was not there a decade, 12 years earlier, the housing market has actually held in pretty well. We can go into that in a little more detail if you like. I, I'm in Austin, so the mm -hmm. market here has gotten crazy because of it. Yeah. 
And then also because of the low rates, everyone's like refinancing their head off. And, so, and I'm seeing that lenders are tightening their restrictions because they fear that borrowers will lie and say their business is fine, but it was stricken by COVID and it's not fine. So these are the things I'm seeing, but yeah. I know there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, so those are all great points. And so let me go through them kind of quickly one-on-one. -on -one. So the thing about COVID is, it is both a cyclical shock, right? Um, like having the housing market implode in 2007 and eight was a cyclical shock, I mean, um, but it impacted us through the labor market, right? I, I, I mean, it just whole parts of the economy shut down because they wanted to avoid getting sick. Uh, so that's there. And then you created an enormous policy reaction, like the Fed setting rates to zero almost immediately. Uh, they bought mortgages. They started buying mortgages at the end of the global financial crisis. But in the second quarter, they raised their market share of this market by more than any other single quarter going all the way back to, to 2008. So they really crunched down. So mortgage rates now are um, below 3% for a 30-year fix, which was unimaginable uh, not, not too long ago. So that is, if you will, the cyclical aspect. But then there's the structural. You're absolutely right. So it's really interesting if you look at the patterns. If you, the housing market was doing great in January and February, moving right along. House prices up fair amount, 6-8% in annual rate, fairly high, but it's because the fundamentals were, were pretty good. Then this hit in March, and the initial reaction was just to freeze up. Holy cow. Is this going to be the global financial crisis? Is this going to be, you know, the zombie apocalypse? You know, what, what are we looking at here? And the market paused in March. It fell in April. It fell in May. May, according to some of the house price indices, was the first negative month-over-month -month change in house prices in many years. And then, as you said, people looked around, they saw what was going on, and there is this immediate, immediate game of musical chairs where people just got up uh, in areas that they didn't feel comfortable to move to areas where they did, right? Um, and so I'm in the New York area. Recursion is a New York-based based company. Uh, my partner lives in Long Island. I live in, uh, in Northern Jersey. Our office is in Midtown. But, you know, I, I mean, here we see it perfectly. Um, you go to Midtown even now, it's, it's pretty desolate. Uh, people are abandoning their apartments. They're moving out to the suburbs and the exurbs or even completely out of the New York area, down to Florida or, or wherever. And you've had a booming housing market. Uh, in June and July, uh, you had a two-month increase in house prices that was bigger than any two-month increase going into the global financial crisis. It's just been completely oh. crazy. So you had this pause and then boom, right? And we've had this really sharp recovery and how long that lasts and uh, how much higher it can go is one of these great questions. But uh, right now there's plenty of rocket fuel under this move. Yeah, I'm from around actually. It's kind of funny. We have a lot of commonalities. Um, so Manhattan, I know I'm sure is like dead, but what about Long Island, Queens? And then what about a flight from density, right? So Brooklyn and Queens are pretty dense, right? And I was looking at some of the counties around and it's kind of interesting. Manhattan, you're right, is dead, but Manhattan's hard because in the normal, the market in Manhattan, especially the up end, has been soft for several years. We had way too much overbuilding. 
and it takes a long time to build in Manhattan. And so you had all these units coming online. It was already soft, and now it's just really soft. But soft means going from 16 to 12 million. It's not like a lot of these houses, not normal human things. But if you look at Brooklyn and Queens, there has been an awful lot of flight out of both of those. My son, for example, works for Google in New York, and he uh, bait in April. And he's been up in Maine ever since waiting for Google to give him instructions about when to come back. But uh, that's just going on in droves out there. So I was looking at the, and the close suburbs are doing okay. I'm in Essex County, New Jersey, which is where Newark is. My partner is in Nassau County, which is right next to Queens. Those are doing fine. As long as you have a single family house with a bit of a yard, uh, people are comfortable with it. But it high rises, now there is no bid for this at all. You're worried about what's circulating in the air. You're worried about riding the elevators with people, right? And so it's, it's that high level of density that's the problem. And, you know, they don't all want to move too far away. Some people are because one, you might have to go back to work, right? Which then is, is um, an issue. And also you might want to spend time in New York someday. Hopefully this will get past us. Maybe you're kind of freaked out. You don't, you're not ready to move back into a 50-story building anytime soon, but you still have hopes of going in and enjoying all of the great cultural events that New York in its good times has to offer. So the close areas are doing well and fairly far out, um, but, you, but you can definitely see the, the Brooklyn and Queens in particular get, getting quite hit. Well, now looking ahead, I see that you know there was this huge multi-trillion dollar stimulus I would think inflation has to follow at some point. And if it does, that interest rates are going to have to come up somewhat to combat it. And that's going to crunch the housing market. But do you think that's going to happen? And if so, what's like the approximate timeline? So I, I frankly put that in the medium to long term. I don't really see that now. Unemployment is still around 10%. The measurement issues here are huge, but let's just call it that, which is nearly, you know, post-depression highs. We were there, you know, even higher than, than you know, we were there in the global financial crisis briefly, uh, in the 1980s briefly. But, you know, in, in that sense, it's true. The Fed, through all of its actions, is generating liquidity. But where is that going? It's going into the bond market, right? So, th- 10-year treasury yields are two-thirds of a percent. Uh, In much of the rest of the world, they're negative, right? You know, so I'm viewing this as a medium-term issue. For the economy itself, I mean, the initial impact was liquidity, right? I mean, you know, the market freezing up, companies not, you know, everybody cutting back, banks not willing to lend. The Fed stepped in, did all the things you said to get the liquidity going, and the liquidity is going. But um, it, we, what we are still facing with the stimulus is at some point the end of stimulus, right? We were concerned about it now. Maybe or maybe not we'll get a second package. I mean, who knows in this uh, very heated political landscape what's, what's going to happen. But at some point, we're going to have to come to grips with the issues that oh, a number of these changes are permanent, right? That people will be working from home more than they were before. That will change the dynamic in the cities. It will change how much people ride trains and subways and go out um, and and this sort of stuff. Uh, It will have impacts on the travel and leisure and business travel industries that will go on. 
Uh, we've seen lots of bankruptcies in like the retail space, right? Shopping, which was already dying because of the online, you know, is really cremated now. I mean, we've all learned how to buy anything online, food, everything. And it's not clear that that's, even if we settle down on the COVID front, that that's going to change very much soon. So at some point you're gonna to have to declare that people will not be able to carry their houses reasonably, right? How many that is, we'll have to see. Um, and, uh, you know, you're also getting forbearance for rents, you're getting for, you know, for both um, uh, apartment rents and like store rents, right? Office rents. Uh, but eventually a lot of the um, owners of these properties are going to have to come to grips with the fact that you know a number of their tenants are just not going to make it. So there's there's a long adjustment period here that I think will keep us off that high speed high inflation track um, at least through 2021. Right? Just in my opinion. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. Uh, duh. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't think about commercial versus residential. Okay. So you're looking yeah. at residential. Well, mostly, um, but I do. I mean, especially multifamily we're looking at, but there are a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of, so we now have a year end um, uh, ban on evictions through the whole country, right? I mean, it's, it's a matter of human crisis now if you kick somebody on the street in a pandemic, right? Um, you know, will that be extended again? That's one of those who knows questions, right? So, you know, you're the landlord, you can't <laughs> kick them out, but maybe you're not getting any rent either, right? You know, so, and the multifamily market is very fragmented, unlike the single family market. We all have GSE or government loans, or the vast bulk of us, there are programs for that, but the role of the agencies is significant in multifamily, but nowhere near as, as big, something like 40% of the market. And then with other, then if you have a private loan, you have to work that out bank by bank, right? So, um, uh, you know, this, this just remains to be seen. But yeah, um, you know, again, at, at some point when the medical situation improves enough and what that is, we're going to have to start coming to grips with getting folks into things <laughs> they can afford, right? And, th and there will be a big adjustment process when that happens. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So do you think that um, the market right now is very artificial or it's doing what makes no, sense? I mean, we're seeing, you know, some people are talking about it's like the 60s, right? We're getting flight out of the city, you know? And, you know, so there's a great question, right? Is how long is that going to persist? Right now, there aren't enough properties in the suburbs. I mean, the supply is down. There's not enough people putting their house on the market for the people who want it, which is why you're getting the prices um, spike up so much. And then, you know, you're moving the suburbs. If, if you know you're not going to have to come to the office more than a day or two a week or a week a month, you know, the, one of the worst things about living in the suburbs was the commute, right? But if you only have to do it 20% or 25% of the time, then it becomes a lot more tolerable, right? You know, and then it can stick, right? Um, 
On the other hand, we have seen a couple of groups. I mean, um, Facebook uh, famously has picked up the entire old New York post office. If you know where that is, next to Penn Station, a huge building. They're going to put like 10,000 people in there. Not next week or tomorrow. It's going to need to be thoroughly refurnished. Amazon bought the Lord & Taylor building, right? Lord & Taylor, classic retailer, filed bankruptcy. They're gone. Um, and so they're going to put some thousands of people into a building there. They're making a bet in the future that, you know, young techie people will want to live and work in that environment. Um, you know, so that's a bet on one side, but a lot of the bigger banks are telling people, no, you, you know, we'll work it out. You only need to come to work every once in a while, right? Which is the other way. So how this ends exactly uh, remains to be seen, but it's going to be fascinating. I'm sure you're probably cognizant of, uh, you know, the, the meltdown in 2008. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that and my job is in, in investment banking. Yes, absolutely. You know, that was, I mean, a lot of it was artificial and like lending was, you know, lending rules were relaxed. Yeah, the markets just then... stopped functioning, right? And, and so there was um, a long period where the banks were very reluctant to give credit to anybody, right? The house prices didn't, trough until like 2011, right? They kept falling at a moderate rate. There was so much supply from foreclosures and stuff and the banks were unwilling to lend. So it really stretched out. So one of the things about what's going on now is the Fed has had the opportunity to learn from what happened in 2007 and eight. And one of the things they learned is you needed to throw massive amounts of liquidity at the market to get things moving again. And actually that has worked really well. Really broadly speaking, credit is nowhere near as constrained as I was worried it might be like the end of March, early April. Um, we've recovered really quite well and having the fiscal package on top of it, the CARES package, right? You know, it, you know, and again, the fiscal response in 2008, was much smaller. I, I mean, the CARES Act is two trillion. The Act back then was like half a trillion. Um, and again, we learned it wasn't enough. We had too slow an economy for several years, which caused a lot of structural damage. So now we're off to a better start. The problem is <laughs> no fiscal or monetary policy can cure a pandemic, right? The other leg here is, of course, medical uh, health policy. On this side, we're still a bit shaky. So I guess the market's just doing, you know, whatever version of natural it, it is occurring to it right now. Like you said, there was hesitation. Now there's this crazy, you know, buying yeah, spree I mean, in more rural areas. It's, well, I mean, the market, what, like a stock market? No, no, I mean the housing market. Uh, oh, the housing market, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I've seen some data, and again, the problem is housing data comes out with a lag. But that even pretty rural areas, I mean, it's so interesting. You know, when the internet first came out in, in a respectable way at the turn of the century, there was all this talk about, oh, people are gonna, you know, work from their, their corn farms in Iowa and stuff. And that never happened to any, I'm sure there are individuals, but, you know, to any broad degree. But now suddenly you're getting a lot of rethink, right? Um, you're, you're getting a lot of people looking at the choices they made and, and, and all of this. So it's, it's actually pretty broad how, how this is working out. As I said, it's going to be fascinating to watch. But in two years, could you have buyer's remorse? Sure. Maybe the cities 
settle down and come back and you know the virus is subdued and you're sitting wherever you're sitting going mm, i'm missing that right you know and and we'll see so there could be something with snapback but i'd be very surprised if the new normal say five years from now is too much like what was there in 2019 i think you'll get some pretty permanent changes and the nature of those are still are still being worked out hmm. So um, any guess as to the next six months, what the market's going to look like, the housing market? So the big deal with the housing market, with residential housing, is forbearance, right? So forbearance is the fact that for most of us, you just have to go to your lender, your servicer, strictly speaking, and tell them you're affected by the pandemic and stop, uh, and you can stop paying your mortgage. You self-certify. Nobody checks what your employment status is, nobody this and that, um, and you can stop paying your mortgage. Now, stop paying your mortgage doesn't mean you never have to pay it. Yes, you, you have to pay it, right? Um, but what you can do, and they're still working out all the details, is whenever forbearance ends, whatever amount you owe gets added as a second lien to your mortgage due at the end, right? So if you miss 10 payments of $2,500 a month, you now have a new $25,000 loan, but it's only due when you sell the house, if a house matures or you refinance or whatever, you know, that, that, that that's the case. So that is what has kept us going uh, uh, during this, uh, this issue. This will start to run out under current regulation in March and April, right? And that is gonna be your time when we're looking at this and seeing how we stand up. If it looks too bad, I guess we could extend forbearance, but I'm not seeing a lot of appetite for that sort of from any corner. At some point, you have to own up to what your situation is, unless, say, the, vi the viral situation really worsens again. But, you know, if we're starting to make progress on that side by then, um, it's going to be an issue. And how many, it's about 7% of all mortgages are in forbearance, which is not a tiny number, right? And so we will see during that period. So I think we hold up well uh, until, say, early spring. And then we just have to take the temperature. If if things are getting better, you know, there's a vaccine out and people are getting a bit more comfortable, uh, more people are back to work, then the impact might not be that big. If all that stuff is delayed and, um, you know, it turns out that a lot of people, you know, who haven't been working find out that they're not really missed that much and they have to find a new job or a new career, then it could be painful and extend a while. And we're just going to have to see. But that's the time frame that I think you have to be concerned about. Well, looking back now on the 08, you know, housing nightmare, um, you know, there was HAMP, there was all these other programs that the government yes, put out to supposedly right. help people. Did that help at all? Or was that just I mean, the market? I mean, on the margin, I, I, I mean, because mod, so I think what will happen for a number of people, you're, you will be out of forbearance and maybe you can't make the full payment on your prior mortgage but it might be better in the bank's interest to work out something else for you that could include like 
you know, payment extension or reduced rates or, you know, possibly even some loan forgiveness because um, foreclosure is expensive. I mean, no bank wants to put you in foreclosure. I mean, you lose money as a bank if you do that. Um, and, and so um, that was there. Um, whether there will be a federal program to do that, I, in the same way as like Camp and Harp, um, it, it'll remain to be seen. But I think the banks are in much better shape. And I think the preference would be to let them work it out with their borrowers case by case. If there's a need for broad policy support, um, that will come. But remember, house prices fell 35% with the global financial crisis. That strikes me as an extremely unlucky or unlikely outcome unless we are very unlucky um, with regards to, say, the virus or policy, broadly speaking. Um, so it, it shouldn't be that bad. Okay. Well, Rich, I appreciate your thoughts. Um, where can people go if they want to hear more and learn about recursion? So I would definitely your- advise them to go to, as you pointed out up front, uh, recursionco.com. We have a blog. Uh, you can see it right there or go slash blog at the end of recursionco.blog. Um, besides mortgages, um, we are doing a lot in the lender space. So we have a ton of information um, on banks and non-banks uh, uh, that are not easily, uh, that are not available at all through normal financial disclosure, but that the banks have to, uh, have to disclose when they place their loans into the agency pools. And we collect this enormous data set, 40 million some loans, and then we can look at it um, institution by institution. And we're getting a lot of interest from uh, the banks themselves and bank analysts uh, looking at this data as supplementary because what's going on in mortgages is more important, again, at least in the last 10 or 12 years. So um, keep your eye out for that as well. Very Thanks good. Rich, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank, thank you for having me, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.